and welcome to episode 13 of Connected on Relay FM. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Harry's, an exceptional shave at half the price, Igloo, an internet you'll actually like, and Squarespace. Start here, go anywhere. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by my colleague, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hey, buddy. How you doing, Stephen? It's good. It's good to be back. And Mr. Federico Vitici. Hey, guys. It sounded like I didn't like I didn't think it was good for Stephen to be back. He's like, it's good to be back, and I'm like, moving on. <laughs> You're like, eh, eh. I mean, it might be good for you. <laughs> it can't I can't speak for everyone. I do. I do have to say. So I listen to the show. Um, you are that and, listener, then. Yes, I, I <laughs> just the one. <laughs> um, and uh, I really have to say, I really feel like my my part of the show being the follow-up yeah that was really awkward yeah it really fell down without me so oh and how much follow-up do you have this week uh we have uh two points okay so about as much as we had last week the second you're back with two pieces of follow-up i actually think i had more than that last week one of them is just really a comeback steven that well you know federico sometimes Sometimes you don't come back with a with a rock album. Sometimes you come back with an EP of some soft songs, and that's don't, that's what mm-hmm. I'm doing today. Don't call it a comeback. Follow up, <laughs> please. Follow up. Follow. Up. I can't follow up because it's about myself. <laughs> and someone wrote in all capital letters, "Explain yourself." <laughs> that wasn't <laughs> it from now. last week. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, why did you buy an iPad Mini two? Explain yourself. Wow. Um... Because you talked me out of an iPad Mini three, <laughs> so we. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, my wife's iPad four seemed really terrible, and so I gave her my Air, and I went back to the iPad Mini. And I, I've really, I realized that I really missed the size, so I've been uh, using it a good bit. And um, I got the, uh, I got one with Verizon access again because once you have LTE on an iPad, you don't want to go back to a non LTE iPad. So uh, yeah, yeah. Are you? Do you think that you are really enjoying it, or you're just having like that iPad honeymoon period that you always have whenever you change your iPad? Uh, that's is a good, really good question. Did you know, Stephen, that you can get work done on an iPad just like a Mac? <laughs> Not- you can also write your verse if you want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can. I can verse. show you workflows if you want <laughs> for writing my verse. I am yeah. an iOS power user, Stephen. I've heard that. I've heard that rumor. So tell us, Stephen, what's your verse? <laughs> follow-up. <laughs> <laughs> we have the best piece of follow-up in the history of all podcasting. If you look in the uh, the show notes, which Federico, where could the show notes be found? Yeah. See, last week I, <laughs> I, I had these instructions for for the show notes, and it, and it, it really... Um, my goal was to tell people where to find the show notes. And as a result, we got this nice piece of follow-up. Um, so people can, can, use your, can use your web browser. Now you need um, to give enough a web browser now so people could do this again. Okay, so fine. Uh, you can use uh, either Opera or Classilla. Classilla is a, is a browser that, that's still <laughs> being developed for macOS 9. So oh, I know. Whether, 
Yeah, see, um, <clears throat> actually, a new build of Classilla was released a couple of weeks ago. How do uh, you know about that? I've never uh, even heard see, about that's this. That's the stuff that I just know. I had a link in the newsletter, so yeah, because it was interesting. So if you use Opera or Classilla, um, you can go to uh, HTTP um, colon double slash relay.fm slash connected slash the numeral. Uh, which is uh, 13. Oh, God, is it 13? <laughs> yes, it is 13. It is 13. It is 13. So, uh, and you will find plenty of links and, and you know, tidbits uh, about Mac power users and, and iOS power users and uh, just in general show notes about this episode. It's a different show. I was on yeah. that so, show. Mike is, and Mike is a Mac power user. Uh, Every, a good episode. Everyone on this show... Oh, no, not yet. Wow. <laughs> So we wow. had a listener uh, send us five screenshots of our show notes in Netscape Navigator, and I put them on the Relay blog. And I have to say, it doesn't look that bad. It, I was <laughs> really surprised. It looks better than IE6. So, <laughs> so Our uh, site is basically unviewable in IE6, by the way. But Is it? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't ask care. Ask me how much I, I care about I that. I do not care at all. I don't um, either. I guess if we wait just a couple of years, uh, these screenshots may may as well pass as a flat design or some <laughs> sort of minimal theme for the website. Uh, it is a nice interface, actually. The Netscape. Have you guys Have you guys ever used Netscape? I mean, no. Stephen yes. must have. <laughs> Stephen must have. Yes. Yeah, have. it looks like a looks like a nice browser. Is this on Windows? What is what is this? The Mac OS? What what is it, Simon? You it's, know more. Uh, it's on Windows. It's on Windows. Mm-hmm. Or actually, an SGI workstation. It's not really Windows. What's a workstation? It's like a Mac Pro. What's SGI? Okay. So yeah, so you should go check that out. Uh, the links in the show notes and in the chat room. And that's the end of the follow up. So S- Stephen, can show. you can you explain to me what is happening? in the United States of America around net neutrality right now. Yes, please. I had the same request. Uh, I have no idea what is this, all this stuff about um, net neutrality, and I just don't understand. I'm dumb. I don't follow politics, so please explain to us. Okay. So do you guys, um, for you guys or for people who don't know, like net neutrality is the idea that internet traffic, so websites, podcasts, video, they should be treated equally. They should be able to uh, travel at the same speed no matter where they come from. So a simple example is Netflix versus YouTube. So Netflix videos should stream as smoothly on the same connection as a YouTube video, right? Makes sense to me. The way to think about it, and you see terms of like, is it a public utility? Um, The idea is sort of that your electric company... So I pay my electric company however much I pay them a month, and I get to use that electricity however I want to. So I can turn all the lamps on in my house all the time, or I can, you know, replace the lamps with, uh, you know, like flame electric-powered flamethrowers. Like, it doesn't matter, right? Like, it comes to the wall, it comes to my meter, I pay for it, and they don't get a say in how I use it. Uh, so net neutrality is kind of that that idea. Um of, you know, the internet should be open and traffic should be 
treated equally and fairly, um, regardless of where it comes from. And uh, so sort of the the issue that comes up um, is that ISP, so internet service providers like Comcast or AT&T or Verizon, uh, they have gotten into the content creation business. So Comcast owns NBC, which is a big television network here. Oh, God. Um, so the, the, the idea is... Um, Oh God! There's sorry. There, I'm getting. I'm closing the chat room. Um, so the idea is, or the problem is that Comcast could say, "Hey, you know what? Um, the streaming site we made for NBC that's going to stream really well, but uh, you know Netflix, we're going to have to charge them more for their uh, their traffic, their rate of information." as it flows through our pipes that that it gets the same treatment. They actually do that? Uh there there have been examples um maybe Mike if 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 you can dig up the link for the show notes. Um this happened earlier this year with Netflix actually. And uh if you guys remember the article it was like Netflix's PR spin was like we have partnered with Comcast for like you know um uh high speed Something, something, or something. But like very clearly, basically these ISPs can hold content creators hostage and say, you know what, you need to pay our tax uh, if you want to be on, on what they call the the fast lane. So that's another sort of jargon you hear in this of, uh, hey, you know, we want to create um, fast lanes on the internet. Well, really, that's not really what they're doing. They're really, they're creating slow lanes. Um, as you guys know, probably... Uh, broadband speed speed in the United States is really pretty cruddy for a lot of people. And so it's not like Comcast is saying, hey, um, if we can do this and we can build faster networks, like they're promising that in some places, but it's not really what they, what they've been doing and what they want to do. And so this has been sort of a deal in the United States for a couple of years now, as there's been some legislation around it. Um, and basically it, it boils down to the fact that, the internet should be considered a public utility in a lot of people's minds. And so this week, President Obama issued a statement urging the FCC, which is the government agency that oversees things like cell phone carriers, cable providers, internet providers, um, saying that, hey, you know what, like you should treat this as a public utility and there should be regulation in place. So Verizon can't say to Rackspace, hey, we don't, uh, we're not going to serve your stuff unless you pay us some sort of service fee. And so it, it blew up, right? Um, President Obama comes out and makes a statement, and Obama has no power. over The FCC is an independent uh, sort of agency within the federal government, and that was in the news today. Um, the The guy who runs the FCC is problematic, and we'll, we'll get to that. So yeah, so that's kind of why it's back in the news um, because the the White House President Obama came out and said, "Hey, you know what? This should be um, this should be a thing." So it's the funny thing, like, is in the in, in the European Union there is already a neutrality law. It was done and dusted like nearly a year yeah. ago. Yeah. So yeah. And, it, and it's important. I read a thing um, uh, the other day, maybe yesterday, about why this is important. So it's not just oh, I want my Netflix to be fast, like it affects everyone. So let's take Relay FM for example, the business that Mike, you and I own. Um, like our internet business exists on the internet because 
we do internet things like without the internet relay does not exist like just period right like the web it, our business is a website and a collection of audio files that's all it is and if net neutrality were to uh if those protections were not enacted basically what can happen is comcast will keep picking on them they deserve to be picked on it's like hey we um you know we don't like lipson where we host our audio files and if Flipson can't play ball with Comcast, then maybe our shows are really slow to download for people on Comcast, or maybe they're they're unavailable completely. And that's a big problem, right? Because we are a company, like we're in business to make money and to create content that people enjoy. And we are dependent on the internet being there, just like every business is dependent on electricity coming through the wall. It's the exact same thing. Um and it's scary, right? It's not just like, oh, you guys have a fancy podcast network. Like, I work at an agency. We build websites for a living. Like, it could put our business in jeopardy if, like, sort of the uh, the worst case scenario were to play out. It's you not gotta good. send Comcast a check, right? And like, what if we can't do it, that? Because like, Mike, yeah, yeah, it's not good. <laughs> not good. Um, and so it's 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 really scary, and it's it's not. Like, this is not, like, doom and gloom, like, oh, this could happen. Like, internet service providers are evil companies. Like, there's no way around it. Uh, there's some lo- some links to the Verge articles over the last year or so um, with these sort of, like, traffic deals between Netflix and these ISPs. Uh, and Netflix is, takes the brunt of it, right? Because, you know, Netflix is a huge percent of the traffic in the United States. And, obviously, video is very uh, it's a very large amount of data to move. And so it's sort of an easy target. It's... um. So yeah, that's kind of uh, does that kind of make sense? I mean, that's a pretty rough yeah. explanation of what's going I on. I have a question, Stephen. Yes, sir. Um, so uh, a few months ago, uh, my Italian carrier, um, which is a uh, telecom Italy, um, had this promotion uh, that for uh, two euros, I guess, um, like a one-time fee, it allowed me to uh, to use the Twitter and Facebook apps. Uh, without consuming any 3G traffic. So I could, as long as I used the official Twitter and Facebook apps, so not Facebook paper or not third-party Twitter clients, just the Facebook and Twitter apps, I wouldn't consume any data. Is that wrong? Because it was a pretty good deal for me, honestly. Right. So, so that's kind of the flip side, right? Like you have the sort of the hellscape scenario of... You can't see Netflix or you can't download relay shows on Comcast, but you can on Verizon. That's the other side of it, right? Is that there are there's the potential for partnerships between ISPs or, you know, cell phone carriers, which really are mobile ISPs, with like messaging services or websites. And that's sort of like the other side of it, is there is money to be made there. Um T Mobile does it in the US with I think with RDO and maybe Spotify as well, that if you stream isn't that right, Mike? Like, if you stream music or something with T-Mobile, it doesn't count against your data. Um, I think, yeah, one of one of the services at yeah. least. I feel like we talked we talked about that at some point. So it's it's like that is good. Like it's good for the consumer, and these businesses are making a lot of money that way. And that's that's what Comcast and Verizon are saying, right? Like, hey, we need the freedom to make these deals. Like, um, but that's really not like. Uh, if there's upside to that, I think I could argue that there is. Like, it's not a big enough upside to to open up the risk of ISPs going sort of crazy with power. 
T-Mobile do loads like Pandora, Rhapsody, Spotify, Slacker, like there's loads, iTunes yeah. Radio, not Beats, which is weird, but loads. Yeah. Um, for free. So this was all in the news last couple of days. Um, the Washington Post had an article. So Tom Wheeler is the guy in charge of the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission. And he has come out and said, look, the FCC, we're an independent agency. Like we are, you know, we don't answer to the White House. This is our decision. And I, I respect that. Um, but the the reality is, like, Tom Wheeler's a terrible person to be in charge of the FCC. Uh, there's, a, there's a link in the show notes, uh, M.G. Siegler's uh, written on Medium uh, today, actually. They're like, Tom Wheeler was a lobbyist for telco companies for years. Okay, can you, can you explain this quickly to me? What's a lobbyist? Okay, so uh, say so we'll take a relay again. So say that Mike and I had some stake in some legislation. So say that uh, U.S. government was going to put a tax on podcasts, whatever. Okay. Uh, Mike and I could hire lobbyists and say, "Hey, like we need your help to persuade members of Congress that this is a bad idea." Jesus, is that legal in the states? Totally legal. Oh, now, well, it happens well, everywhere, Federico. It's, it ha- it ha- oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This in is Italy, a yeah. I'm not and, aware of lo- lobby. In Italy, uh, they an do official lobbyist job. Yeah. In Italy, but it's because it's done with violence in Italy. <laughs> they probably um, do it in Berlusconi's house. I don't know. Right, and so you have this weird tension, as Slade four hundred one says in the chat room, that like, okay, Obama hired Wheeler for this job, which was a huge cluster, like not a good hire, um, and like Obama could fire him, but then he has to go to Congress to approve his replacement, and the Congress is as of a couple of days ago, now controlled by the opposite party and like he would never get anybody through. Um, and so it's, it's this super like Obama says, Hey, we should have net neutrality, but like he can't make it happen. Uh, he doesn't control Congress. The guy he hired at the FCC, like in the Washington post his quotes of like, we got to split the baby. Like we can't have, like there's gotta be some mm-hmm. sort of middle ground. And like it's, there's no upside in that. There's no upside in it for small businesses. There's no upside in it for individuals. It's only upside for internet service providers for these huge, almost uh, monopoly-sized companies that are just squeezing, you know, all the money they can out of their services. So, what do you mean when you say they persuade uh, people in Washington to 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 pass or reject legisla- legislation? Do they like? Uh, do they offer dinners or they like pay what? them? Uh, okay, so they bribe so, them <laughs> pretty much. But there's legal ways that they can be bribed, right? They uh-huh. can give political yeah. contributions, uh-huh. and, right? So, or they can just give cash and nobody ever knows about <laughs> it, or checks. Yeah. <laughs> so a good example of this, I'm, I'm trying to find find the link, but um, in Tennessee and a bunch of other states, there have been votes up or down about municipal internet service providers. So the city of Chattanooga in Tennessee where uh, Bradley Chambers lives, um, they have basically city-funded, city-run internet. And it's like, it's like gigabit up and down. Like it's, cra- it's crazy fast. And there's been opposition to that um, at like the state level of government, which is just complete BS. Um, and a lot of those people like have taken – like they're – if you look at their records of, hey, I'm running for a camp, a campaign, I have a campaign, and you look at their donor list, 
it's internet service providers, right? It's like you have Comcast helping you pay for your campaign, and then like they scratch your back, you have to scratch theirs by snuffing out municipal internet service providers or by saying, oh, hey, you know what, net neutrality. It's it's, ter- it's really terrible. Shady. It's the worst. Like it's the number one. Like the the I, I really believe like the uh, massive amounts of capital that are infused into the fe- state and federal government. Like that is what powers so many of these bad decisions. Um, that and like, I'm going to tread lightly. I don't want to turn this into more political than it is, but like Senator Ted Cruz is like, it's the Obamacare for like the, for the internet. And it's like, Hey, like that's the stupidest thing anyone has ever said. Oh yeah. Said that guy about. sounds dumb. He is. Um, but there's like wrapped up in all of this is that there is a, uh, a political system in the United States that is fueled by basically hatred, right? Like two sides don't work together. And like we're not gonna fix that on our little podcast here, so um but it's all wrapped up in this, right? Like that you have this very serious legislation issue that is muddied by the fact that like the president really can't make the decision. The guy he hired was a bad hire, and you have a Congress controlled by the opposite party that like he can't go to to get things done. So like I, I really I don't know if uh, what's going to happen with it. I feel sorry for you guys. Like, yeah, are you sure you don't want to come to Italy, Stephen? Hey, your pet, your uh, your balcony looks really nice. Yeah, I, I mean, look, it's I could, it's really huge. Could I so, could I bring my three children? Yeah, <laughs> my wife. Yeah, I mean, you can it's, help me yeah. with uh, you know testing apps. Uh, yeah. doing workflows. This is just know? like one of those things where the unfairness. Wait, are you making me your butler? Yeah, <laughs> a little app a blogging no. butler. No, this is this is just one of those things to me where it's like the unfairness of it to the average person just makes it seem like it shouldn't happen, like it couldn't happen, but yeah, it's happening. Right, like it just feels like how is this? Obviously, it's not, but how is this right? Like, how is this okay? And like, just there's so many things that are screwed up. Like, w- like I mean, one, I question why Obama's doing it. Of why he's doing it now. I mean, I know it's not a re-election thing for him, right? Because he's he's only second term now, isn't he? Yeah, he's done. So I don't even get why he's doing it. And or if he felt this way, why didn't he do it sooner when he maybe could have affected some sort of change, right? So when he could have changed the leader of the FCC, which also doesn't make any sense. Like, how has he got no say in it, but yet he can appoint someone? Like, there's so many things that are wrong uh, I don't get it, and and I shudder to think what our email inbox is going to look like over the next couple of days. Yeah, I think I think people who listen to pod like uh, overriding this for over the last couple of days, like I've only gotten like, "Hey, you're right," like because it is, um, it's so like uh, basic. Like there's such a huge obvious answer to this and uh, it blows my mind that people like think that it's not that way the the biggest revelation for me in listening to you steven has been that american politics really seems like house of cards that's what it that yes yes it is that's what american politics is it seems really accurate (laughs) It's the House of Comcast, is what it is. You know, (laughs) before people say yes, it was based on a UK show, but it's very different. Oh yeah, like like the fake one, like the fake House of Cards. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, that was the real one. Yes. Um, Like it's yeah. So it's it's the British one, like set in the in the 
parliament and there's people with wigs. People don't wear wigs in parliament, but yes, it's they don't? set in parliament. No, they, they wear wigs in the courtroom. Oh, sorry. Uh, but yeah, yeah. The, okay. fa- the fake house of cards. <laughs> yeah. Let's take a break and thank our first sponsor for this week's show, and that is our friends over at Igloo who make an intranet you'll actually like. If you've ever used SharePoint or have an intranet that feels like it was built in the 90s, you know just how an intranet can be dull and unengaging. Not only will it be seldomly used because nobody wants to use it, it's also going to be out of date because of that too. I can pretty much bet that there's going to be no love in there because people just don't want to use an intranet that is boring and old and rickety. Well, Igloo knows that connecting staff in meaningful ways make your office a more fun place to be, so that's why they make an intranet that you're going to like. The starting point for creating an engaging intranet is design. This is more than just tacking your logo into the top left corner or changing the colors, even though you can do all of those things. The design of an intranet needs to be a reflection of your company in the way it looks, but also in the way it works. With Igloo, they have a system of apps that are all widgets. They're drag and drop, so you can set up pages really simply. You can configure them to work exactly as you want for certain teams, and you're able to make sure that you have things set up just the way you want them. You can enable the things that feel right and disable those that don't. Some of these apps include Twitter-like microblogs, task management. You can have calendars and shared calendars. You can have regular sort of blog stuff. You can have document. Uh, so you can put documents in and people can comment on documents and it has revision history and stuff like that. These are all built with Igloo's apps. This can take an intranet from just being purely content-driven, like here are the seven things you need to read, to a web page, to a community that feels like things are active. There are activity feeds and conversations at the center of it. There's also a WYSIWYG editor. So everything in the Igloo, wherever people are putting content in, there is a WYSIWYG editor, which you can give people permissions to, so they can go in and write whatever they want, and they can change the you know, rich text controls and that sort of stuff. You can build your own widgets as well with the custom widget builder. Everything is customizable in Igloo. You have the ability to add HTML, CSS, and JavaScript globally across the entire site, across the entire team space, or even on single pages or in the smaller communities, which enables you to basically mirror the way that your company works on your internet as well. Like if the finance team don't like to talk to each other, maybe they don't get the microblog functionality. But if the IT team have a softball team that they have, then maybe they need the shared calendar. You know. You, you get where I'm going with this. Igloo is super awesome. It's free to use with teams of up to 10 people. And you can sign up right now at igloosoftware.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Igloo for their continued support of this show. We love you, Igloo. So what's next? YouTube. Yes. You yes. heard of this website for videos, Mike? I've I came across it in 2006 when a guy called Chad Hurley, no relation, uh, sold it to to YouTube, along with Steve Steve Chen, Steve Chen and Chad Hurley. That's where I first came across it. No Ooh. relation to me, the the other guy, Steve. Yeah, Stephen Chen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I, I will Chen. S- <laughs> so what is this? What is happening on YouTube? Okay, so, so I, can, uh, Mike, do you want to 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 explain because you're more. Um, I guess knowledgeable about Google than me. Uh, okay, I thought he was going to say about this. I say we've read the same article. Uh, so I just saw this earlier today on the Verge, and just thought it should be brought up because it's this music streaming service, which is uh, along with photos. Isn't there a photos thing that we need to talk about at some point? Yeah. We did it last if week. You want. 
Aren't you oh, no, no, no. That's next week. Okay, that's next week. Next next week. Um, so basically, YouTube today have announced a music streaming service, but also just a bigger push into music in general. So this comes in a couple of different ways. So the YouTube music functionality. So basically, what they look, what Google and YouTube are doing, um, they are trying to get more music and into YouTube, and they're trying to categorize it a bit better. They're setting up artist pages with discographies. They're they're like presenting all of the videos they have on a certain album and or completing them and and putting all that sort of stuff together. So they and they're also in the apps on iOS and Android. There's now going to be a music tab. It's going to be home and music. Right, so it's going to be split into those two things. So that's one part of it. So just YouTube trying to be more music focused. But they're also setting something up called Music Key. It's a paid mm-hmm. service. It's $7.99 a month, currently invite only. And what this does is it removes ads from videos that you watch on YouTube, only music videos. $7.99 a month, music videos will be will be removed. And obviously as well, this is going to be only the official music videos. But if you don't have the ads, then you may as well watch the official ones, you know, whatever. Um, there's going to be a subscription included to the rebranded today Google Play Music. So it's no longer Google Play Musical Access, it's just Google Play Music. Um, it's launching in the US and in six EU countries. I've yet to find out which ones. So, yeah, I think that that's uh, it's pretty interesting. I'm, I'm, I think fine. You know, more music services, great. I, I like that it's more than just a music streaming service. Obviously, they've got the Google Play Music stuff, which is the streaming service. But the fact that you can watch the the videos. I mean, I'm not really like a big music video guy, but I guess for people that are. This is quite an interesting uh, entrant into mm. the into the fray. Yeah, so a lot of people actually use YouTube as their unofficial music streaming service. Like yep. a lot of my friends, when they say, "Let me let me listen to a song," they open YouTube, and surprisingly, I've seen a lot of friends using um, unofficial YouTube apps to to do stuff like background listening or like offline caching of videos uh, because for them, uh, they don't want to pay Spotify, they don't want to pay uh, RDO, which is available in Italy. Uh, they don't want to pay, they just want to, to look at the video on YouTube. And also for, for other people like me, uh, I mean, I, I use... Uh, I pay for music streaming services. Uh, I like YouTube because it gives me uh, videos and, and, you know, like live performances, demo tapes, uh, other kinds of um, like remixes, uh, stuff that I don't get on music streaming services or on iTunes. Um, So even if it if it's not really meant as a music listening experience because it's a video, um, you know, I'm not a I'm not the kind of guy that really cares about headphones and, and oh, I need to get this fancy equipment because I want to get all that bass in, in my songs. Uh, I just want to listen to some music. And YouTube is fine when you want to, you know, I want to look at, I want to watch an Oasis concert and I get the Oasis concert on YouTube. Now, with this YouTube Music Key uh, paid service, what's interesting to me is that they're doing it just for music, right? So um, you get the officially uh, approved uh, videos from an artist and you can get an ad-free experience. Uh, you can do the stuff with um, background listening. You can do offline downloads, but this is just for the uh, videos that you otherwise get on an artist's profile on YouTube. Um, so it's not just any music video. 
that's what I'm getting, right? I'm, yeah, am I right. wrong, man? Okay, so yeah, no, so it's not just it's not just any music video. Like, okay, so if you go to a concert and you shoot a video and you put it on YouTube, I'm not getting that video in Music Key. No, right? no. Okay, but if an well, artist says, I mean, so to say you're not getting, okay, it's still going to be on YouTube, it's still access it, but it's the idea of there not be being YouTube. ads there. So yeah. that's that's what the music key gets you on YouTube. And okay. and I can pretty much well, it's only gonna be the people that would then get money from YouTube, so it's gonna be the official music videos. Yeah. Right. The so this is interesting content providers. Yeah, the content providers. Directly. This yeah. is yeah. really interesting for me and I actually signed up for uh, Google Play Music today. Um <laughs> Because I, uh, I saw Casey Newton on The Verge. He said that uh, if you sign up today for Google Play Music, you're going to uh, get the, uh, the Key Music beta invite next week. So I said, whatever. I'm, um, I'm curious to, to see this stuff. And uh, so I signed up. And um, I'm really curious because YouTube has this kind of ex- exclusive content that you don't get anywhere else, especially the concerts and the uh, like. The, the all the other videos are really interesting for me. Um, I don't like. I'm not particularly a fan of Google, uh, but YouTube is you know is full of content. Basically, you get a lot of stuff that you don't get on iTunes or Spotify, and I mean, whatever. I, I want to check it out, you know? And I don't know if people who use YouTube for free are going to pay for your music key uh, because people have a surprisingly high uh, resistance to uh, to ads on the web. Uh, see, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, what, do you, what do you guys think? I mean, yeah, I, mean I think, I think if, if Google Play Music, if their, um, if their catalog is as good as everyone else's, then this is a no-brainer. As long as the app's okay, you know. yeah. Is it within the YouTube app? Is that or the, the video like stuff's it, in the YouTube app? Yeah. The video yeah, stuff's in the YouTube like... app, but Google Play Music, I think, still has its own app. Yeah, I mean, I Google think it's Play really... Music has the app, but you're gonna get a new music tab at the top gotcha. of the YouTube app. Yeah, yeah. I thought okay. that was just for videos, though. I didn't think it was for the MP3s. I don't know. I guess you, if you put the app in the background, you get background audio. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know. I mean, it's, it seems like an obvious move for them, right? Because they have all this content that's being shared, like by like studios put music videos on YouTube, like official on official channels. So why not try to make that experience better and bring some money in? Like it, I would bet though that I'm surprised it's taken them this long to do something, you know, new. Honestly, Google must be giving a chunk of change to the the content providers though, because I would oh, bet yeah. they make more money from the ads than they would from a streaming service. Maybe. Because the Vivo ads, at least, they're non-skippable in most instances that I've come across. They're like 30-second non-skippable ads. Skippable. Skippable. Uh, So, I mean, I would be surprised, you know, because those those ones are obviously going to have the highest CPMs and, you know, that's going to be the huge benefit. Uh, Yeah. We'll see. I mean, I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting that this space seems to be hotting up, like, um, I know you, me, me and Jason spoke about it's an upgrade this week, but like there seems to be, Taylor Swift is causing a bit of a problem at the moment for the streaming services. Mm-hmm. I saw this, then the Spotify guy came out and said that they're trying to pay people more money and they're going to be very open about it. But it's definitely an interesting space. I just don't know how much money there is in it. I don't think there's enough money to go around. I don't even think there's enough money for the big players. But we'll see. I, I, I personally think that like this makes sense for music and I think that 
the big you know the big artists they they will make their money in other ways the music industry is a changing business again cool should take a second break steven why don't you uh do we have to wait for steven's rant another one i get two yeah so excited do Do we have to wait do, do you want to, do wait, me to wait. take a break now, or should we let Stephen complain about Evernote for a No, bit? let's take a break. I want to. I want to make people wait. Okay. Yeah, Stephen. <laughs> Stephen wants to to complain, and let's I'm, let's make Stephen prepare. And I'm sure that I'll fight back because why not? So, gentlemen, the month of November is upon us. This is a time when mustaches are for everyone. It's your time to pretend that you are Tom Selleck. What I'm talking about. Is Movember. Movember is a time where men grow moustaches to help raise money for men's health charities and men's health-related issues. And our friends at Harry's.com are the official razor partner of Movember and will be there with you for the entire hairy month. It's a time that requires extra attention and Harry's fantastic razors and shaving products are there with you every step of the way. Whether or not you grow your mow with Harry's, you can get an amazing shave and do good by supporting Movember's quest to fund research on important men's health issues. Harry's.com was started by two guys who are passionate about creating a better shaving experience for all men. They create products like razors and, and gels and foams that I am happy to hold and use with blades that are comfortable on my skin. These blades are excellent quality. They are the highest quality blades. And they basically, the guys at Harry's, they found a blade factory in Germany um, that they wanted to to. To get on, you know, they were like, "Oh, we found this factory. We want to be able to use their blades, and to, because we love what these guys do." So they bought the factory, which I think is a fantastic part of the story. They're just like, "Yeah, we're going to buy it because we think they're that great, and we want to be able to use them forever." The starter shave set starts at just fifteen dollars. That includes the razor, three blades, and your choice of Harry's shave cream or their new foaming shave gel. I personally love the gel as I really like the lather that it produces. It feels and smells super awesome too, as does their new aftershave moisturizer. If you're shaving and you should you should be using this stuff basically. Moisturizer is a really important part of your shaving process and you should be using it and theirs is fantastic. We all know how frustrating it can be to decide to buy a product and get to the checkout screen and find super high shipping costs. Well, that's why Harry's has free shipping. Go right now to harrys.com and they will give you $5 off if you type in the code Connected with your first purchase. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com and enter coupon code CONNECTED at checkout for $5 off and change the way you shave forever. Thank you so much to Harry's for supporting this show and Relay FM. I've prepared, Federico. Are you? I am ready. Let's let's talk about this, Stephen. So we've talked a lot over the years about how the three of us use Evernote. Federico, you rely on it every day. Uh, Mike and I use it a ton for the network stuff. And uh, they've done some things that I'm not in love with. And um, from the reaction I've gotten from these pieces, other people aren't in love with either. So Evernote has added a new feature in the iOS and the OS X and the Windows app called Context. So if if you've used Evernote in the past, I'm sure you've noticed that if you were in a note and you know, you're typing or whatever, it will kind of suggest like other notes that may be related. So if I'm writing a note, um, 
with maybe with everyone's like PayPal email addresses in it, it may say, oh, hey, you have this notebook over here that's got PayPal stuff in it. It might be helpful for you to see it, right? It's actually a really useful thing. But they've added um, other sources to that list. So now if you're doing a note, you could see like suggested articles from the Wall Street Journal, TechCrunch, Pando, Fast Company, and a couple others. Um, they announced a new one just last week, a Japanese media company. And it's it's not my favorite thing in the world. It's gross. It's oh, gross. Guys. So 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 here's before Mike, before you go. Um I I wanted to be fair in what I wrote. And so if you look in the show notes, like I Sound angry. Yeah, I hit my mic. It's gesturing. Uh, uh, yeah, all over the place. Did you point towards the computer when you said show notes? That's not important. Show notes over there. <laughs> show notes are up here on the iMac. <laughs> so, like, Evernote has this really, like, actually pretty clearly written privacy policy. They call it the three laws of data protection. And, like, it's everything you put into Evernote is private by default. We don't make money from your content, uh, which is not really true anymore. Um, no, no, no. Uh, carry on. Uh, and so this is what they say in their ter- in their privacy policy about contacts, is that um, it's not a human. It's not, you know, <laughs> it's not a human reading your notes and saying, oh, I think they'd be interested in this article. It's it's more like the way Gmail works, right? Like it it knows the co- content of your notes and and can bring in these articles, which is um, also gross. Which I don't like, I don't want that. Oh, if um, only you could turn it off. Yeah, you but can. it's on by exactly. default. They turn it on by default. That's gross. My that yeah, wrong. it's it's on it's on by default, and it's not about the thing the... is. So if they didn't turn it on, but well, I guess they could ask you. But if they didn't turn it on by default. No one's going to use it, and they are. Well, business. doesn't does doesn't that make you wonder about the utility of the feature if people don't turn it on? No, I mean, but they'd have to tell. I mean, like I then thought to myself, well, they could just say to you, "Do you want to turn this on?" Which is probably the better way of doing it. This is this awesome thing we're doing. Do you want to turn it on? I agree, that would be better. But if they just like didn't tell anyone about it. Then that would be stupid. But the it's not um, it's not that you can turn it on or off. It's that they thought this was an okay way to diversify their income. Um, how do you know they're getting yeah. paid for this? How because are they not a, getting paid for because it? Because there's how? a news article about the Nikkei, the Japanese media uh, giant. Uh, yeah, but Nikkei have invested in Evernote. They have they are not paying to have like not like Panda yeah. Daily have not invested in Evernote. Yeah, like, how many months do we have to wait before we see the Nikkei content in Evernote in Japan? Oh, they're saying that they're adding it in. Like, they've said that, that the Nikkei's content will be in yeah. the context feature, but they're not paying directly to have that. They are investing in Evernote. They are taking a yeah, chunk of the Yeah, it's like lobbyists. It's like a lobbyist, yeah. But what, <laughs> I, what I mean is, like, you, and can you show me somewhere that says that all of these people are paying Evernote? No, I cannot, but it's kind of obvious. I don't know if it is. Like, why would Panda Daily want to do it? Because, uh, Panda it, Daily because might want it, to. it is a content deal. I mean, I mean, let's just look at the feature from an objective point of view. It's not really useful. I had this note about some research that I was doing about the Retina iMac and the iPad Air 2 during the Apple event. So uh, when, the, when the context feature launched, I went into Evernote and it was enabled by default. So at the bottom of my note, I had these recommendations for iPad reviews from TechCrunch and Pando Daily, 
which are websites that I don't read, uh, reviews that I don't care about, and they're just there. And I don't want them. And I didn't ask for them. And, and they're there in my personal notes. And it's, you know, just kind of gross. And it's not really useful because it's not a... I mean, I was just taking notes and now I'm getting reviews. What, does, what makes you think that I want reviews from TechCrunch and Panda Daily in my notes? At the bottom of my notes. Not in my notes, at the bottom of my notes. Which, you know, it, it's just... It feels like the kind of businessy uh, deal that they want to to make. They want to make it appear as a feature. It's really advertisements, and yeah, I'm I'm not a fan, and I'm concerned that going forward, Evernote may may keep considering these business deals, and they they're and they're trying to pass them as features to the users, uh, whereas they're just ways to to make them money. I know that on the face of it, this is how it seems like. It seems pretty obvious, but I I just want to stress though, I I at least have not seen any proof that that Evernote are receiving a, a cent for this. I mean, I think that's really naive to actually think that. No, like, I, I I'm not saying that that's what I think. I, I just said like it yeah, seems yeah, obvious. You're, you're, no, you're right, you're, Mike. You're right. Yeah. yeah but what I'm saying is there is no proof that that is the yeah. case. Right, yes. Sure. Because if that isn't the case, I think that changes it. That shows it's a misguided attempt to provide <laughs> a useful feature. It's a really feature. dumb feature. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. it's misguided. Is... I think. But I think that is fundamentally important that we cannot say for definite yeah. that Evernote yeah. are being paid for it. And if they're not being paid for it, I don't think it is as bad. If they're being paid, I am on board with you guys. But because yeah. there is no proof for it, it makes me think I, I'm not sure. Like I, I, I don't know how I feel about it. because. Right. So, it's something that I don't necessarily want, but I can see how it would be useful in some instances, not all instances. And also it would be more useful if I could say I want to select my the sources and I can use anyone. Like I can have Mac stories there. I can have five topics there. So when I'm taking some notes, like if I was taking notes for this show in Evernote, that would be an extremely useful feature for me to start writing YouTube all uh, YouTube music and then The Verge pops up and Mac Stories pops up and I can take links and add them in. Like that is useful but it, it it's like it's only useful if I have the full control over it. Like So it right. feels like it, it's like kind of a, an interesting idea but the but, sources that they add are like not relevant to us so we're not interested well, it in it. may be useful but you don't give me a page view in that way. You just grab a link from Evernote. I mean, I think yeah. I think there are links that. that I mean, assuming that you opt in, I, I don't know. Like, of course, I, there are many things, but that, you I know. mean, as a website publisher, I'm, 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 I don't really know how this stuff goes into Evernote. Is there an algorithm that just picks articles? What, what happens if people don't click on my link? Am I just being advertised? I mean, if eventually Evernote, you know, turns on this feature for any website, am I just being advertised in Evernote for for some reason? I, I just feel really uncomfortable with this stuff. I don't like it. I get a Google sense from from all these, and I don't like it at all. Right. So that's so, Mike. Your point. <laughs> this is where this is where it stems, isn't it? Because it is very googly, and that's yeah. why it doesn't bother yeah. me so much. But it really <laughs> bothers you guys, yeah. right? Because I mean, I mean, like I, like I wrote, like my Evernote is full of private information, and even though there's, I believe, I believe Evernote when they say there's not like a dude on the other end reading it and like oh i think they want to read this link i creepy guy looking at uh, creepy guys yeah yes this Um, is the other thing why i think that you guys are being silly but it's the same instance right that stuff doesn't bother me so much but it's an intrusion i mean evernote for so long has said we are not going to intrude on your data and now they are 
because they're inserting content from other places, probably being paid for it, <laughs> into like my work, right? Like mm-hmm. it was great when it was my notes because that was helpful. And I, I'm not discounting the fact. Like, I agree with you. I think there is a use case for this. Like if you're if you're doing research and you can be like, oh yeah, I didn't know this was an article. And it's really cool. Um, a like none of their sources are particularly interesting to me. But it's 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 breaking a wall between this is mine and Evernote and this is like the internet out there. And that's a wall that I hope they spend a lot of time thinking about before stepping through. But what I worry about and what you see this with Evernote all the time, like I don't think they thought about it. I think they were like, hey, this would be cool. We'll probably get some licensing fees and uh, let's do it. Um it feels disrespectful of the user, especially this is the thing that kills me, right? This is the, the really the really thing that I don't understand. It's a premium feature, like that. Yeah. Like they think that it's like if this is about just making money, like why not? Be like, hey, it's turned on by default for free users, and um, for a premium user, you know, it's it's optional. It's it's only available as a premium feature because they think it's really helpful, and they think that. People are going to love it. And from what I've heard from people, that's really not the case. I mean, look at the chat room right now. People are like, this is crazy. Um, it just seems, mis- it seems, it, it seems misguided at best and at worst, something really icky. Yeah. I'm just trying to have faith. Yeah. We just come down to our different positions on Mike says, that's not creepy. I'm not bothered. And me and Steven were more, yeah, this is kind of gross. This is kind of what I, I at least expected it from. Stephen, I didn't know how, what your opinion of it was, Federico, and that was why I was interested because uh, I knew you because you of us of all of us are the bigger Evernote. Um, yeah, yeah. You're the I mean, bigger I could, user. I mean, I could move out of it pretty easily. Uh, there's not a lot of apps that do what it does specifically. You know, like having a note with like files attached and stuff, but. Um, you know, that's a really good, that's the thing that kills me. Like it's actually a really good product. Like it's very useful. It's very helpful. The fact that it is everywhere, like web, phone, tablet, computer, et cetera. Like that's great. There's so many good things about it, but it's like, you guys, like you gotta pay attention to what's good about your product and, and, you know, don't break that trust. Yeah. I mean, whether it's perceived or not. Evernote is great and I love it. Just this feature I don't know. The other thing, like to forget, is business is gonna business. Like, you know, <laughs> there's there's business and business, Mike. But, you know, you that. know, it's it's like this stuff costs money. Like, you know, and if this is a way for them to make money, and because I'm, either they're getting yeah. paid or like they're totally getting paid. By the way, totally. Show me your proof. They're either getting paid or they think it's a good feature that will get people to sign up. It's like. You know what? Are you, what are you going to do? Like, they've got to try and find ways no, to make money. I don't, I don't think Federico and I either way are begrudging them for trying to diversify their income. Like, I've paid for Evernote for years, and I'm happy to do so. Um, I think actually think their structure of what's available for free and what's available for premium is more than fair. I think what I pay for them per month is low compared to all the use I get out of it. Um, but if you're going to diversify your income, you have to do it in ways that don't don't take your core values and what you say you believe in and even remotely approach blowing them up. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, so, yeah, I don't know. I my don't blood know. pressure is super there, 
I, I, I would have thought of millions of different ways to uh, to build and enable this contacts feature. Just, I mean, look at the sources. It's not really that useful. I don't know. Oh, sick man, bro. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not against those websites specifically. It's just like the scope of the websites included. Like they're not really uh, in-depth uh, scientific sources or you know technical websites. Uh, I mean, it's just generic news. And yeah, uh, yeah. with all due respect, uh, when I do my research in Evernote, I don't, and I believe a lot of other people like me. I don't really need the, 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 the tech news from TechCrunch in research. I don't know, maybe just me. With all due respect to TechCrunch and, and Pando and whatever other website is in, what it you, seems really generic, you know? What you probably don't need is obvious sources. Like, right. if you're writing a review and you need a TechCrunch article for it, if you uh, uh, didn't yeah. already know about that TechCrunch article, then it's probably the wrong. Do, uh, yeah, do you know what I mean? Problem, yeah. <laughs> like you know, you probably already knew about those guys. So. No, it's just you know, it's on by default, and you get all these few websites, and you, and you open Evernote, and it's just there, and you have no control over the sources. You don't know how our articles are recommended. It's just it's well, a to, to be fair, you decisions. can. To be fair, you can turn services off one by one. So like, if you if you want. Pando, but you know Matthew Panzerino cut you off in line to the bathroom. You can turn off TechCrunch. Like there is sort of some control, um, but I, I would like. I think what would be really interesting is sort of how you know how um, DuckDuckGo has like Bang Search, where you can be like, I can search very easily a particular website. Google does it too, but it's a little more confusing. Um, that would be really interesting. I say, hey Evernote, like I'm writing. Um, let me add a custom. Yeah, search parameters. So, like yeah. for for you, I, I'm sure you're the same way, Federico. I search my own site all the time for like, did I write what? about the PowerBook 180C? Yes. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, Why would I, you remember? I probably. Wow, that okay. cuts me, <laughs> cuts me deep. Um, uh, if, if it exists, I'll put it in the show notes for you, so you feel better. It, I don't think I've written about the 180C in particular. Um, like that would be really helpful. Like okay, take this technology and like open it up and make it more interesting and make it more flexible and therefore make it more powerful. But uh, that's not what they've done. Maybe that's where they'll go. I think that'd be a great addition for a premium user of let me have custom search, uh, custom web search brought in. But to have it sort of like, hey, it's here and it's on by default and like it's super janky to turn it off in the OS ten app. You actually have to go to the web to do it. Like it's just not really uh, well done yeah. at this point. So, yeah, anyways. so my, Mike isn't bothered. Steven kind of is. I am. So welcome to Connected, I guess. One yeah. last one last quick, very, very quick point. It is kind of crazy to me that Google hasn't already done this. What do you in mean? Google like, like, Keep? <laughs> no, in Google Docs. Oh, yeah, Google Docs. Okay. Well, I, I think like there's not ads in Google Docs either because I think that Google understands that things that happen in Docs are like sort of off limits to them. Yeah, so that's why I just find yeah, it I mean, crazy that even they haven't Google done Google understands. Yeah, they, so. yeah, I guess that's pretty bad, right? That's not <laughs> yeah. a good. Yeah. <laughs> that's not a good yardstick that's... to measure yourself against. Has that's Google done it? Say. No. Then we should do it. <laughs> yeah, and like, and you can do like add-ons, and you can do stuff in Google Docs. Like, you can like the source is a pretty popular one. Um, there's some stuff you can like bolt on to Google Docs to make research and sort of this stuff. 
little easier, but it's it's all off by default, right? <laughs> and Google's not like, hey, look at this thing we shoved in here. Like, there's sort of a holy of holies once you're in your Google Doc where you can't come in and do whatever you want. I think that's that wall I was talking about. So, anyways, yeah, Mike, let's talk about an awesome internet company, that's Squarespace. Awesome. Yay! Yay! Squarespace are the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code WORLD at checkout. That's Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. Squarespace, they have a fantastic, clean, beautiful, simple way to get a website online and they put all of the power that you need into your hands taking away all of the nasty stuff the things that you don't want to have to worry about the things that get tricky and difficult like hosting scaling and they also put the put people there for you right they have great support as well Squarespace have recently launched a totally redesigned Squarespace 7. It's the brand new version of Squarespace. They've applied everything that they have learned from powering millions of sites, I think for a decade now, to make an even better platform for you. Squarespace 7 features more stunning templates, 15 new ones in total, that all feature responsive web design built right in. And they've also embraced something new called the cover page. This allows you to create a really great looking single page websites, and they have some templates for these too, with all of the power that a full Squarespace site has. These are really cool for personal websites. Maybe you just want to set up like a, you know, stephenhackett.com, you know, and you could set it up as just like a one page. Or maybe you want to set up a standalone website, maybe to announce an engagement or a baby or a party or something like that. And you could have that in Squarespace with a cover page and you could have maps in there and you could have all the cool stuff that they have. They've also partnered with Getty Images now to provide you with a great deal on awesome photography at just $10 an image. This is an incredible deal. If you've ever looked into what it costs to get good stock images, um, $10 an image from Getty is incredible. Um, and if you want to get email and collaboration tools on your custom domain, a custom domain that you can get from Squarespace if you sign up for a year, well, they now have awesome Google Apps integration too. They're building this right into the Squarespace platform to make it even easier to get to all that stuff. All of this awesome, fantastic new stuff is still built on top of the core of Squarespace, like their 24-7 support, which is through live chat and email. They have teams located in New York, Dublin, and Ireland. So they're there to help you around the clock. Squarespace's commerce platform, which allows you to add a store to your Squarespace site in just a few clicks, and you can start selling physical and digital goods straight away. They have loads of integrations for shipping and stuff like that too. They use Stripe for payments. And they also have rock-solid, fast hosting, and just so much more. If you want to squash stretch Squarespace even further. The dev platform is now out of beta and it's available to everyone. And they've added even more functionality to allow you to do things that you've never been able to do before with Squarespace. Squarespace plans start at just $8 a month. If you haven't tried them out, now is an absolutely great time to do it. Or maybe you tried them out before, you didn't like it. Well, go back in and try it again. I'm sure you're going to love it. Go to squarespace.com. You can sign up for a free trial. You don't need any credit card to do this. You can just sign up right there and you can just try it out. You get a full trial. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure that you use the offer code WORLD at checkout. Not only is that going to get you 10% off your first purchase, it's also going to show that you heard about Squarespace from us and that you want to support our show and we will love you for that. Thank you to Squarespace for continuing to support all of Real AFM, Connected, and all of the great shows that we listen to. That's Squarespace. Start here, go anywhere. It's new. Tagline's new, guys. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah. Thank you, Squarespace. It's pretty cool, right? So Federico, 
You told us you had a topic today. I do. I want to talk to you guys about something. Okay. uh, (laughs) Is it Google? No, it's not Google. Okay. It's not Italy. It's not Italian ISPs. It's um, it's about software preservation in the age of the App Store. So this is a topic that I've been thinking about for quite a while. I've always been fascinated by the idea of uh, keeping stuff around for, you know, for reference, but just for the future, I guess. And, and I've been thinking and reading a lot about software preservation, about video games, about old software from really old computers. And, and I've been thinking also about uh, the App Store. So I've been writing Mac stories since 2009, and I've seen and I've tested and I've reviewed and used a lot of apps. And going back through the Mac stories archives, um, a lot of those apps are not around anymore. Like they don't exist anymore. And 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 that got me thinking. A lot of apps are released every day, and people talk about them. People use them. People enjoy them. Uh, whether they're apps or games. Um, and then maybe after a few years, those apps just die. They disappear. They're no longer on the App Store. You cannot buy them. Uh, you cannot find them anymore in your computer because maybe you use the App Store on your device to, to download an app. Maybe you, you replace your phone. You don't have the old phone around anymore. So that app, is, it, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, effectively, it's nowhere to be found. And... Other times, maybe you still you still have the original uh, app around, but it's unusable uh, because of a, for instance, of an API change. Uh, because maybe the app depends on some kind of online infrastructure that no longer works. So the app maybe crashes at launch or doesn't show you anything. So, because I'm I'm a big believer of the of the fact that software as something that is made by humans uh, is a form of cultural expression. Uh, I wouldn't say art um, in the sense that a, a painting is art. Uh, I would say their culture is art, and therefore apps are a, a form of you know, human expression. I'm a big believer that software falls under that category, and that got me thinking about how are we exactly preser- preserving all this software, all these apps? Uh, do we really care about keeping apps around? Do we care about remembering apps and the people who make them? Is this just a problem for me? This is making a me bit- feel sad. Yeah, it is kind of sad, right? Because if you think about it, it's not that apps exist just on its on their own on the App Store. There are people who make apps. So... I was I was looking through the Mac Stories archives and I was remembering uh you know 5 years ago when I when I started running running the website uh I remember for instance when when Tweety uh by Lauren Brichter came out and Tweety and Tweety 2 uh, they those apps were basically the, the the highest standard for making iPhone apps and Lauren invented so many different uh, features and design details such as pull to refresh for instance uh, he owns a patent with Twitter on the pull to refresh gesture which is now a universally recognized way of interacting with a mobile device so I was thinking about this and, and, uh, and uh, of course Tweety is no longer around so I was I was just considering the fact that if I were like a teenager 
today and I'm getting started on iOS development because I want to make apps. And I go to Google and I search for examples of, I don't know, famous iOS apps or, you know, the kind of reference stuff that you want to know. And you stumble upon Tweety and and this app does not exist anymore. And you cannot use it. You, you cannot try it. And this is true for thousands of other apps. And my, so, uh, my final question to myself was, is this really important? Is there, other, is there anyone who cares about this problem? Uh, do we care about keeping software around for the future? So uh, I did some research, of course. And um, so the first example that, that came to me uh, was the MoMA, the Museum of Modern Arts. Um, they, they are really invested in the game, video game preservation. Uh, thanks to curator uh, Paola Antonelli, uh, she must be Italian, I guess, uh, that's an Italian name, uh, the MoMA has uh, assembled a collection of uh, 14 video games, and they're adding more and more. And these video games include Tetris and even Minecraft, for instance. Uh, they're notable examples of uh, popular video games that influence uh, human culture and human behavior, and they are examples of video game design, and they are, you know, just a little frozen moment in, in, in human history that is reflected in Minecraft or Tetris, and they're essentially culture in the form of software. And these games, I mean, there's Pac-Man, Tetris, uh, The Sims, uh, Katamari Damacy, which is a crazy game for PlayStation. Uh, Cannibal's in there. Cannibal's is, is in there, the, cool. the iPhone game. So if the MoMA is really thinking about software preservation and video game preservation, uh, can this be applied to, to apps on the App Store and maybe even Google Play Store? So the I, I started reading more about the process of the, of the MoMA for video game preservation. And what they're doing is interesting because besides uh, consulting scholars and critics, uh, critics of video game websites uh, and, and experts of digital co- conservation of uh, video games, they have all they, they follow all these different steps to make sure that a video game is preserved over time. So of course they they ask for the original physical copy of the software. Uh, so whether it's a cartridge or a disc, uh, they ask for the source code. So um, to make sure that in the future, uh, if you have the source code, you can, I guess, recompile it or translate it to another, uh, to another language and still use it. They ask for notes, comments about the code uh, to make sure that in the future, uh, somebody else could get the code exactly right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ask for an interview with the creator of the beta game. And then they, 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 they try to understand the best way to display that kind of game, whether it's a multiplayer game, uh, so you need, I don't know, the original console and multiple joysticks, or maybe it's an iPhone game, so it's a really quick game and you can just have an iPhone on a stand inside the museum and let people play. There's plenty of interviews with Paolo Antonelli, um, but I also found uh, an interesting article on US Gamer, uh, which is a great video game website. And... The article started by talking about the Nintendo Satella view. And this is actually closer to the App Store than what than the MoMA, because the MoMA actually needed to find physical copies of video games to keep them around also digitally for the future. 
but we don't have physical copies of apps. But uh, it turns out that the Nintendo Satellite View, which was um, like an attachment to the Super Nintendo, which was only released in Japan, had a download-only feature that lets you um, download games over a satellite connection and keep it on your Super Nintendo. So we're talking wow. about 20 years ago, Stephen. Yeah, um, <laughs> sounds sounds like good stuff. <laughs> so there, there was no, there were games for the Nintendo Satellite View that I actually they, can't believe this thing existed. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there were games for the Satellite View that didn't um, exist physically. And one of those games called Radical Dreamers uh, is the sequel, I guess, to the super popular Chrono Trigger, which is being ported to many, many other platforms, including iOS. Now, that game doesn't exist physically. It was only available on the Satellaview service. So, of course, that service was not really successful for Nintendo, and it shut down eventually. And now, if you want to legally play Radical Dreamers, you need to find somebody who has a working Satellaview, who didn't uninstall the game, who didn't delete the game, who basically downloaded the game 20 years ago and kept the console around (laughs) intact with the digital download. So... In this case, the MoMA approach doesn't really work, right? Because it's, uh, it's, it's a piece of software that it's on a not successful console um, that is not available physically. You cannot probably find the original team that made this piece of software. And now, if you want to play this legally, and if you want to keep it for, for the future, you need, to, you need to rely on emulation. So I also started reading about emulation and, you know, can we maybe keep software around in a in a in an altered form that lets you play the original uh, game or use the original program, just not on the original hardware? And of course, I stumbled upon the Internet Archive, which is an awesome nonprofit organization that um, wants to, as the name suggests, uh, archive the internet and. Among the various initiatives of the Internet Archive, which I really recommend donating to, um, there's two that I want to focus on. The first one is the Console Living Room, which is um, a collection of... Uh, it's, it's an emulator system for web browsers. So it's, it's a combination of the MESS, is the name, M-E-S-S, emulation system that the Internet Archive came, uh, came up with, combined with JavaScript that lets you emulate older, older games in a web browser. So there's uh, many different consoles uh, supported by the console living room, and some of them I never heard about before. Uh, some of them I know about, like, this, uh, like the Game Gear. Uh, there's a bunch of, I guess, of Atari stuff. So you can have these old games today in a web browser. And there's also the Internet Archive software collection, which is, um, I guess, a software library is the definition uh, that gives you access to a lot of weird old stuff, like, of course, uh, computer programs, uh, CD-ROM images. Uh, there's even an archive, Stephen. I know this, uh, this uh, may get you excited. There's an archive of old FTP websites that are no longer on the web. So there's like an FTP archive of the old Atari.com server that you can download as a zip file on your computer. It's like 20 gigs. Yeah, I mean, like it's, this isn't just games. Like 
This, yeah, is, this is not just games. It's websites. Yeah, it's, it's tons programs. of stuff. Like it's tons it's of software I mean, stuff. Yeah. Right. Docu documentation for old software, uh, various multimedia uh, kind of projects and files, it, a lot of so different kinds of software. So after reading about the MoMA, uh, we have a, a couple of articles in the show notes. After reading about, um, there's even uh, what is called as a software preservation society, which is, uh, it's not like a, a cult. It's a, it looks like a legit website. They even Are you have a Twitter account. indoctrinating us into this cult right now? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Uh, they even uh, they have a Twitter account. Uh, there's been a. Le I also got reading about this uh, conference from last year called Preserving Axe, such as uh, the the file extension, uh, which was uh, a conference at the Library of Congress about uh, this very topic of preserving software. After reading all this stuff, uh, I I I went back to thinking about the App Store. So Apple has a few. We need, to, we need to mention a few facts about the App Store. Um, apps can be downloaded on your computer uh, as um, IPA files. Um, and Apple has a DR, DRM system in place, which is uh, Apple Fairplay, which is used across the iTunes Store and App Store for music, movies, and just about everything that Apple uh, sells dig digitally. Which is important to mention because in the future, if you basically if you want to play Apple software, uh, App Store software on a device, you need to account for the DRM that Apple has. So uh, I, I try to I try to to, ima to imagine a scenario for the future, and and this is where I want to talk to you guys to you guys about, so I'm sorry for the long introduction, but it just, I felt that it was necessary. Eventually, the apps that we like are going to die. Um, they're going to be unsupported, they're going to break. Uh, the APIs that some web-based apps use are going to disappear or are going to be replaced and there's not going to be an update. Apps depend on people. And when people stop caring, apps die. And we this is not ancient history. This is not about FTP websites. Even apps and games from the App Store of a few years ago, they have disappeared and they are no longer around. And you cannot download them. You cannot play them. You can talk about them. You can read on websites. You can read all the reviews. And those apps were made by people. But those apps are no longer around. So you can talk about them and you can say, yeah, it used to exist, but now it doesn't exist anymore. And this really bothers me. I don't know why it bothers me, um, I, I, but it really it, it feels strange to me that something used to, to exist in the age of the web and the app store, and now it doesn't exist anymore, and nobody has a backup copy and nobody has an alternative. So you can just talk about it. And it, and it really bothers me. And... And I, and I wonder, and this is my question to you guys, do we care about this problem? Is it a problem at all? Or is it just me and maybe those other weirdos like me uh, at the Library of Congress and the Software Society? <laughs> do we care about this problem? Is there a solution for the future? Do we need an organization like the MoMA coming up with solutions to emulate apps and games from the App Store era to make sure that people in 20 years can say, hey, look, this Lauren guy, he came up with some pretty sweet solutions for, for scrolling a timeline. Uh, <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it something it means that... You're getting, it means you're getting older, is what yeah. it means. 
Is it is pretty, it something yeah. that matters in your opinion, I'll or is it? I'll ship you an old power book, and you'll you'll know how I feel. I, I think it I think it does matter, especially. Like I think a lot about this about like what we create. So like, Mac stories five twelve relay like, the stuff is only around as long as we pay our hosting bills, and then it's like maybe web archive you know maybe archive.org picked it up, but probably not. Um. It's definitely something I spend I spend time thinking about and, and pondering, and not so much in the app space, although I think that's important too, um, because our industry does move so quickly. Uh, you know, things like like Lauren's pull to refresh, like that is a huge deal. Like, I mean, you cannot overstate how big of a breakthrough that was, um, and it's and its adoption and the way Twitter handled it legally and all that good stuff, and it's like. You kind of don't know where you where you know where you are in history without knowing where you've been. Like this is one reason I really enjoy like old Apple hardware and software. And I come across this, you know, I don't I don't boot up my old Macs as much as I used to, but like the same thing. Or like, oh, I need a you know some like random Mac OS eight point something CD to install this. And it's like I cannot find it. Um, so it, it's definitely something that's bigger than just the App Store, but something I think is really important and. And like I don't know what the answer is. Like it's great that MoMA's doing this, and it's great that uh, you know the Library of Congress does stuff, and like it's great that Archive.org exists. But it's like bit rot is a very real thing, and um, like you can even get down to like the micro level of like your own backups, and you know like do you have the papers you wrote in middle school or high school? Um, I don't know. Like it's it's a very interesting topic because it's something that like is huge and like really personal and small at the same time. Yeah, because what I what I fear is that this stuff, this software preservation that the MoMA and these other people are doing, that's possible because it's they're trying to preserve software from a different era. Because today we have millions of apps, and it's I fear that it, it is technically and you know impossible to preserve all of this because it's just too much and because yeah. software moves quickly and because the the games and the and the programs that these people are trying to keep around they didn't have uh, updates they didn't have an app store they didn't move quickly it was a, a, a static i would say piece of software so it's easier to keep around and to say hey look what i look what i saved today right. you cannot say hey i want to save a copy of tweety 2.1.3 <laughs> yeah right like the app store is going to override it or your yeah. cyber is going to explode or like what you run into with like old max as well like even if i have the software that doesn't mean i have the hardware and the os to run it either right like if something only runs on you know iphone os 2 and 3 and like you don't have a phone that can do that. It's like, well, cool. I have an IPA that I can like open and like poke around in, but I can't actually do anything with it. Which is a whole another like, it's one thing to like collect and archive. Another thing to like keep around for actual use. That's a wholly different like level of pain and suffering. You know what's? Uh, what, this may sound crazy. Apple as an archive, I guess, of all versions of every app that's ever been on the App Store. It would be really awesome, even just for select apps and games, to have like an App Store museum. I know it sounds crazy and, and 
just out of this world. I just think it would be really nice, I guess, to recognize at least some software on the App Store as a as a as an important piece of human culture, right? And, <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and part I of it is mean, you don't know. Part of it is you don't know what's going to be that until it's gone. Yeah. Like to a degree. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And and also, how can you how can you select the kind of apps that you want to keep around for the future to say, hey, look at what, what in 2010, this guy, look what he made. And I mean, of course, you don't want some ripoff or you know, scammy app from the app store to, to, to be preserved. Uh, because there, there's a lot of noise, right? And in the in the 20 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, of course, you want to keep an, an FTP archive of the original Atari server because that's cool, because it's Atari. Today, how do you pick from over a million apps on the App Store? Uh, how do you choose a game for the iPhone or the iPad on the App Store with so much stuff? So maybe, maybe the answer is that we cannot have the same kind of software preservation that these guys are doing because the App Store is different. And and, and this is not just limited to the, to the App Store. There's the Google Play Store, there's Steam, uh, there's a bunch of different online marketplaces that yeah. you may argue, yeah, I want to preserve this stuff, yeah. but how can you yeah. do that? But like you said, it's even hard on physical media, like CDs rot. I don't, yeah. like someone in the chat room said it a couple months ago, like, does anyone still have a zip disk drive? Uh, I do. And I take it very seriously. But, you know, most people don't. It's... It's just this constant churn of bits and it's really, it's like, I mean, it's like a stream, right? It's like you put your hands in a stream and you try to, to capture something out of it and it's yeah. just going to go right through your fingers. Um, and like, a, it is a sign of getting older when that makes you sadder than it used to. <laughs> but, I don't know. Um, I just, I just feel, yeah, probably. I just feel like in 20 years, if something like uh, Monument Valley or the upcoming Space Age game uh, isn't, preserved I, it seems really absurd and, and sad you know because it's it, those are games but it's also true for apps this is software that people like sat down and actually wrote it's it's like in a way i'm not saying it's like poetry but it's something that that a person made right it's just not literature it's software but it's still a human creation and and it right. feels stupid to me not to keep it around like, it yeah. really makes me upset, you know? Yeah, no, I feel that way about Claire's works. Um, but don't you at a certain point just end up keeping everything forever? Yeah, like, where does it stop? Yeah. Like, And I don't I mean, just mean apps, like, literally everything that's on books. the internet. Like, everything that's on the internet should, in theory, then go through this process, and, and that is it's not possible. It's, it's, I guess, it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, same thing I with, guess, with... Go ahead. I guess it's uh, it's why we need people like uh, Paolo Antonelli at the MoMA or people at the archive.org because they, they this is an awful word, but they curate. Like those are actual curators at a museum yeah. uh, because they choose what needs to be preserved, but at least they preserve something, you know? Yeah. Whereas but for the App Store, like, there's no way right now. The MoMA's currently got 14 video games. Like, yeah, it's... That's, They're planning to add many more. I hope so, because that's not much of a collection. Yeah, I, I I don't know. Like I agree, it's like it's nice, but I think that kind of like 
the thought of it is nicer than the actual doing. I mean, but you know, anybody that knows me, I don't really hold a lot yeah. of sentiment for these types of things mm-hmm. in in actuality. I believe that I think that they're pretty nice, but like, don't you think there's some kind of romance to people yes, writing there is. software? I mean, it's something that a person made. Even if you despise that person profoundly, and even if he charged uh, $4 on the App Store five years ago and he, was a, and he was a jerk because he asked for money, I mean, it was a person, right? Yeah, but like there, there are like literally years of podcasts that I've made that you cannot find anymore. Like, Doesn't that make you worth. sad? No, because I chose that. Well... I mean that's that's a different thing. That's a wholly different like debate, which I don't think we have time or the understanding for today. Of like, um, like Mike, if you took those old shows off the internet, and mm-hmm. no matter how many I have of them on my raid, like they don't actually belong to me. And so for me to like post those early shows of yours, like on the Squarespace site, like I actually don't have like the rights to do that. And and not just because you and I are friends and business partners, but that like it's just not mine to do. And so there's that whole other world of like, yeah, like it'd be really cool if like I could emulate like an old version of Tweety, but like Twitter actually owns that. And what if Twitter's not happy about us doing it? Now in fifty years when um, you know, Twitter's dead and gone, it doesn't really, you know, doesn't really matter as much. But there is that sort of idea of like what can someone like legally or at least like not in an icky way actually archive and actually preserve um see, it's, it's it's complex see that's where i wonder i mean today we go to museums and and we look at the dumbest stuff from like 2000 years ago oh, look this is the tool that egyptians used to use to yeah like, to there's poke nothing the ground. to show for there's nothing to show like even like my great grandchildren, what I'm doing right now, and, like there just won't uh, be like unless I save those MP3s and they have a way to listen to them and they give uh, you know uh, one single hoot about it, like it's not real. Like, no one's I'm, gonna w- dig up yeah. the Relay FM website. What I'm trying to say is, why is it that we go to museums and we look at tools that like stupid tools that people used to rely upon in their daily lives, and are we sure that in 2000 years, we don't want to say, hey, look at what people from the 2000s uh, used yeah. to, 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 to use on their yeah. phones to communicate. No, with the but world. they'll be digging up the keyboards and the phones and the mice, like not. Are you sure? Not the bits. Yeah, because. If they find my house, they will be. Like, I mean, the stuff, like, this stuff is, it can never be dug up. You can never dig up an app. Like, it's not possible. Whether That's it, the problem. Yeah, because it's not yeah, possible. Okay. Yeah, that's that is a problem. But you know, I mean, you say like the people have tools. We still have tools. They're just they're just keyboards. You know, like it's uh, I don't know, I don't know. Like I assume that there are loads of things that even the Egyptians made that like there's a bunch of papyrus that is like you can't find Gone. anymore. Yeah. You know, but some of it you can find. Yeah, it's a terrible. Yeah, thought. see the. Mm. It's a terrible fight. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It, well, let's maybe just all it's quit a, now. That's the point. Yeah. Well, yeah. This is really a depressing. <laughs> let's just okay. Let's have a plan. Let's just start archiving IPA files. But then, where do we oh, put them? Ah, uh, like you, in the cloud. That's not a thing. I like. I like. I will archive the cloud. 
for. Tell you what, like, let's buy some some iCloud Drive storage and use iCloud Drive. Yeah, because that'll be around. To drag and... It's barely around now. It's true. Let's not start let's that use, conversation. Let's use the archive, uh, the the iCloud Drive to archive IPA files from iTunes. And Done. we'll see what happens. Maybe in 2,000 years, they will say, those brave souls, they trusted iCloud for posterity. You know? <laughs> foolish, we'll have... foolish generation. <laughs> 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 All right, Mike, take us home. If you want to catch, uh, catch, if you want to also read our show notes for this week's episode, <laughs> you can launch any browser you like, maybe Camino, and go to relay.fm slash connected slash 13. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm at iMike. I'm the host of many shows on this fine relay.fm. I am joined, as always, by Mr. Stephen Hackett at ISMH. He writes at 512pixels.net and Mr. Federico Vitici. He is at at V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and he writes at maxstories.net. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, Harry's, Igloo, and Squarespace, and we'll be back next time. Say goodbye, gentlemen. Arrivederci. Adios.